This episode is brought to you by No Meat Athletes Complement Protein. Complement Protein is made with just five real food ingredients and no additives, fillers, or sweeteners. It was designed to be strong enough to fuel your training and clean enough for your kids. Learn more at lovecomplement.com. That's L-O-V-E-C-O-M-P-L-E-M-E-N-T.com and use code NOMEAT for $10 off your first order. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Matt, it is bright and early on a Friday morning. This was the only time we could squeeze in today or this week's episode because it's been a really big, busy week for you. <laughs> it has been busy, uh, for sure. It's a super exciting week. Um, we'll get into why, of course, but fulfillment of a, of a decade-long dream of mine, and it feels very much like, like after uh, I qualified for Boston running my first 100 miler you probably know these same feelings where after that it's just like you're just kind of on a cloud the rest of the week and it's mm-hmm. it doesn't seem real and all that so it's it's been that combined with a ton of busyness that that like came as soon as it happened which is different from the running because with running it was like you get done your thing and then at least in my case all i had to do was write a blog post about it and then i was sort of <laughs> <laughs> then, I was, then i was relaxed for a little while but uh-huh. uh but this just led right into the need to keep going um so it's been crazy and then the time before the announcement came out, of course, was uh, was itself a huge sprint for two weeks um, of Instagram lives and social media and being on people's podcasts and all this stuff. So it's just like, I have no idea what we said in the last, I was trying to remember what we did, what we said in the last week's podcast so that I don't say the exact same things again. Uh, <laughs> but I have no idea what we said. I don't remember if we talked about the Spartan race thing, the book. I just don't, just don't, I have no idea. <laughs> well... I'm sure it was a, an episode that everyone else remembers very, very well. So <laughs> maybe, let's make sure we don't repeat anything. <laughs> good. Um, no, well, I mean, I guess now would be a good time to announce what has happened in the last week. And it is that Matt had another baby. <laughs> right. <laughs> just that's kidding. it. <laughs> uh, well, in a no, way, just kidding. In a way, though, I got to. I what, got to what happened? What happened well, we, in the last week? A book is like a baby, right? I've, I've actually heard people use yeah, that kind metaphor of, yeah. before. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, not of course, <laughs> of course, not as important as my real children, but uh, yeah. So we had the book. The book came out, and then we've had a podcast since then, right? Yes, yeah. Okay. The book came yeah. out last early last week, and we had we recorded an episode after that, and I'm right. Yes. I sang you some Dora the Explorer songs. Oh yeah, okay. This looks like I've been in a coma, and I just woke up, and I'm just remembering. <laughs> uh, being reintroduced to the world. Yes, that's right. So anyway, the big news, of course, was that uh, on Wednesday, two days ago, uh, we found out that that the book, The Playback's Athlete, made it onto the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, number four is its debut position, which is actually pretty high because there are 10 in, in this category, which is the advice, how-to, and miscellaneous category. Um, so you can go there right now. Go to New York Times, or I guess it's nytimes.com, uh, and click on the bestsellers and find that category, and you will see... Uh, right there, number four, my name and Robert's name and our book, picture of our book. And uh, it's something that I, I have imagined in my head many, many, many times what that list would look like with my name on it. Uh, it's just, you know, visualization sort of thing. So it is really cool to see that uh, happening. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's like, obviously, we'll, we'll talk about that sort of thing in this episode. But uh, like I said, it's been crazy. And uh just just the end of a long 
a long time wanting that. I, I, I mean, I had two books before this, and both of those, one, one of them was four years ago, 2017, and one of them was 2013. Um, and both of those, you know, my kind of naive mind, I thought they, I thought they could be bestsellers, New York Times bestsellers. And, and mm-hmm. when I say bestseller, everyone says bestseller these days, and usually they mean Amazon bestseller, which is uh, not to take anything away from that because that itself is an accomplishment. I mean, writing a book at all is an accomplishment for anyone. Uh, Amazon's not too hard to get because the the list is so uh, quick updating. So if you if you sell a ton of books in an hour, you can become a bestseller. Uh, it doesn't for, really work for an that. Hour. <laughs> yes, exactly. And mm-hmm. and then you know in theory or, or technically you forever are an Amazon bestselling author after that. But anyway, uh, but New York Times bestseller is uh, for me. I've always thought of it as the pinnacle, and it's it's amazing. So uh, yeah, I thought those books would well had it, I, I wanted them to become this. That that was the goal, of course, for those. The first book really had no chance. I didn't know enough to to not know that, um, and I'm glad it didn't because it made me made me want to you know promote it like crazy, and and I was very proud of it and all that. Uh, the second book probably did have a chance, but I was one of few people who who realized that. Um, and, and so was my co-author, Stephanie, by the way. Uh, and so that book ran out of copies, uh, the day before it went on sale and, and who knows if it hadn't, maybe it would have, but, but I, I view that, you know, this is a good example actually, cause I always, I always tell people I have the belief of like, you should take responsibility for stuff. You should not blame other situations or circumstances for your issues. I think generally, if you can take some sort of responsibility, if you can find a way to take responsibility yourself, uh, in a way that's empowering, not not in a damaging way, because I know there are some things where taking responsibility might be damaging. Um, but I've I've you know worked hard. At first, I did I did blame for that, but then I, I was like, you know what? That's my mistake for not from the beginning from from for getting into a situation where someone else didn't have the same vision I did. And, and I should have, you know, making sure that enough copies are printed and, and in stock, um, that's part of the, part of the deal. And I can't just assume someone else has got that handled. So, um, definitely I view that as my mistake and a big lesson learned. And, and this time we didn't make that mistake. And this time, uh, you know, it, it takes, it takes a whole lot of things to come together. I've realized like you have to have some luck. You got to get all the things working and very few things can miss or not, not happen, not materialize. And that's what happened this time. So uh, it was incredible. I mean, the support that our community, first of all, just individuals buying the book was was massive, the, the resonance that it had. Um, it's one of like, I think of a couple projects in the history of Nomad Athlete that have, that have, you know, hit like that and just felt like when it's happening, like you just can't believe how fast people are, are how fast you're seeing the sales come in and whatever. Um, and, or, or just the responses, the number of comments on something like it just, it just felt like one of those things where something about it was the right thing at the right time. And, uh, it, it just happened. Uh, and then, and then the number of like other people who have platforms were willing to share them with us with Instagram lives, of course, Rich Roll having us on his podcast and, and releasing it just at the right time for us. Um, plus more support. And then we were on the best, uh, the plant strong podcast with Rip Esselstyn, um, Brian Clark, guy I've looked up to forever, a guy in the nowadays, he does the further newsletter, which is about health, wealth, and happiness. We got on that right at the right time. Um, so, I mean, just so many, and, and this is, this is three people and there, there were probably 50 people who helped us out. Uh, and so I'm, I'm obviously leaving almost every name off this list, but, uh, you know, just, just incredible support. I guess I'll mention a few other forks over knives was massive. Uh, and the mastering diabetes guys, uh, 30 day Alzheimer's solution that shares eyes, uh, Dr. Will B fiber fueled, uh, Alan Desmond, just 
just big names in this in this vegan space these days who who just like stepped up and even last minute would like throw together a thing and say yeah let's uh, like i mean will uh he this is the guy from the doctor will who wrote his his last name i think it's bolshevitz i had never i just called him dr will be um he wrote fiber fiber fueled massive bestseller he was like on vacation in jackson hole and on saturday night like in the hour before our deadline for this sales cutoff he <laughs> he took time away from that to come do an, a live with us and wow. uh yeah it was just it was just so many things like that that made it very emotional kind of to to you know we were just very grateful and humbled and everything and so anyway, I don't want to go on too on with, I don't want to go too on too much with that stuff. Um, but I hope people understand that, that that is, you know, a huge part of what this feels like. Um, yeah. I, yeah. So, so I think so from from an outsider who is much less. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm involved in all this, but much less um, in the weeds of like the bestseller list and that kind of thing. I mean, you mentioned New York Times being kind of the pinnacle, and and to me. Uh, I agree with that for a couple of reasons and, and that I think a lot of people didn't understand and, and I didn't understand really until this time was that they're not looking at just sales numbers where something like Amazon is looking at like what is right. the orders as they're coming in in real time. But uh, New York Times is looking at things like um, the diversity and the type of stores that it's, that it's being purchased from. So not just Amazon, but uh, independent bookstores and larger bookstores and that kind of thing. There also there's some subjectivity to it. Um, mm-hmm. You know they're kind of making sure that someone hasn't placed a whole bunch of mass a big order of a whole bunch of books, but you know they a lot of individual buyers. Um, they're I don't know they have like this selection criteria that's much more involved than just uh, number of copies sold. And and to me like that just kind of makes it feel a lot more legit. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I think to some people it it makes them angry yeah and because you see every now and then i've been on people's list before where you where you get the angry email about how they didn't make the new york times and they blame subjectivity and they blame censorship and all this stuff uh but new york times doesn't hide that they don't pretend that it's an objective list uh Mm -hmm. they say it's based on you know sales is a huge factor i mean amazon's an algorithm right for for comparison it's just a computer i I don't think anyone at amazon messes with that until except for when they wrote the algorithm and adjust it but um that just happens automatically. New York Times is a committee. I think it's a committee of just three people, actually. Uh, I could be wrong about that. But they, you know, they, they review the sales numbers, of course. But they, like, my understanding is they don't want to see, you know, just some, like, sort of corner of the internet that that buys a book like crazy and, and no one else in the world knows about the book. Uh, that's not what they're really looking for. I guess they're probably trying to capture what is what is the the zeitgeist maybe of the moment uh mm-hmm. and, and so they're looking at yeah they want to see in-store sales and they want to see i think they want to see in, independent store sales which is where we did really great uh and which is awesome and i think that's so cool uh maybe maybe glad doug that you are championing championing the small independent business all the time uh <laughs> on this podcast because i think our audience i think not not just this podcast but i think the type of people who would buy this book the plant-based movement people vegan people um they're the they're the exact same ones who who love independent small businesses and want to support local and all that stuff. So uh, that helped us do great in independent stores, and I think that means a lot because I think that sends a signal of of book people or you know people who people who like that kind of stuff, people who like independence. Um, it sends a signal that that they like this, and I think that's I think that's valuable. So yeah, and and New York Times they also like <clears throat> if you look at the New York Times bestseller list, there's always these little 
uh, I guess it's called a dagger. It looks like a little cross next mm-hmm. to certain books. And that that is a little thing that signifies that uh, some retailers reported bulk sales, which doesn't mean scamming. Like a, a legitimately a business might order 500 copies for its employees of a book, and mm-hmm. that's fine. It just they want to point out that that influenced these numbers um, just because that is saying something, right? It's saying that maybe just one person made that decision, not 500 people or 1,000 people. Uh, and then if it happens too much, and I think and if it's it maybe in any suspicious fashion, then they will they can keep it a book off the list entirely. Yeah, I, uh, I, I was... I mean, I'll be honest, I haven't spent all that much time on the New York Times bestseller list before <laughs> until this yeah, week. Yeah, right. I, right. I mean, I don't think anyone uh-huh. actually does. It's just it's just prestigious thing. But, uh-huh. you know, I think yeah, I, but I, I, I was looking, I was looking at that and I was trying to figure out which books had the little cross thing and which ones uh, uh-huh. had asterisks by them and that kind of thing. That, <laughs> yeah. Um, by the way, I, sh- I wanted to step back. The only reason we're talking, I know this is not like No Me Athlete Radio typical content, Um the reason we're talking about it is because it's to me it's such a huge thing for this movement that we got a plant based fitness book onto the New York Times bestseller list, I mean, which is such a mainstream list. Um, so that feels like quite an accomplishment, of course, for me and Robert, but uh, just as much like it. It's something that I think is special for this movement, and and I'm proud of it for that reason. So that that's one of the reasons we're talking about it. The other one is I've heard a few people along the way, not many, but a couple say this really inspires me to to write the book I've been meaning to write or wanting to write forever. Um, and I think, you know, every now and then, Doug, we do an episode that is about uh, this, about about creating stuff and starting your movement or uh, picking yourself, which I think we've had that as an episode topic before. But they don't ever, they don't really do that well. Um, and for, for good reason, right? That's not, that's not our show's topic. But they always find certain people who, who love that episode. And, and then we get a handful of more passionate emails about that episode than we do about our typical episodes. So that's, it's not entirely that, but I, I do hope that some people will hear this and say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do my thing because who knows it, it might work. Yeah. Cool. So, so I do so, want to, so you mentioned, um, you mentioned this kind of feels like you just qualified for Boston or ran hundred mile or achieved some big goal that you've been chasing for a long time. Um, I know that for me, and, and you also did mention that it feels a little different that there's like things you still have to do, but, uh, you know, I know for me when, when I achieve one of those goals, um, there's like that few days of just like bliss where you were, uh, just relieved kind of that you did it and relieved that it's over and relieved that, um, all that work paid off in some, some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's kind of this transition period where you feel a a little bit lost or like, okay, what's next? Like, how do I, how do I go beyond past that now that, now that I've accomplished this goal, that's been the sole focus of, of what I've been doing for the last several months or, you know, for the last several years, if it's kind of been in the back of your mind, something you've been working on for, for years. Um, you're probably still in the bliss phase. I would imagine it's only been a couple of days. Uh, mm-hmm. but like, how does that feel now that it's done and you start thinking about the future? Yeah, so this is interesting. Um, you mentioned the Boston thing, and I, I want to talk about that because I'm I'm actually not in that bliss phase yet. Like I I well, <laughs> the weird thing is I felt that phase before we had made this goal. Before, hmm. as soon as we finished on it was Saturday night because the deadline for New York Times sales reporting that cutoff of the first week is Saturday. So on on the Saturday, 
up until Saturday, all your pre-orders that you get, and then up until Saturday, which is the end of the reporting week, and the book's always released on Tuesday. So you get Tuesday through Saturday, plus all your pre-orders. That's when the cutoff stops. So you only get, whatever, four days of, or five days of, of on-sale time compared to all the other books that are already out, and they have their seven days, but you get all your pre-order period as well. So you can usually get a big edge from that. But anyway, so the big rush for us was get everything done by midnight on Saturday. That's that's when we can rest. And it turned out it was midnight Eastern, and it turned out, we learned later, that like it's not really midnight because Amazon starts counting orders and shipping and, all, and whatever else. Like They close everything up a few hours before that. So it was like, I don't know, 9 p.m. Eastern time. Um, when we finished the last thing with Will B, that thing that he did from from uh, Jackson Hole. Yeah. It, it, that's when I felt, surprisingly, didn't really expect to feel this, but I knew then that like this huge rush, harder than I've worked in my life really, at, at like, you know, for a, for a two-week straight period. Uh, it was like, wow, like we did it. It's done. And, and that's the same time when all these things were coming together. So, like, we did all these extra interviews we did not plan on doing, but they all came together Saturday afternoon. Um, and so we just kept going and going and going. And then another one pop up, and I'd have to get an email out to our list, but then another one would come up. And it was just this crazy sprint. Um, and at the same time, it was coming with all this feel-good vibes from people who were doing this for us and seeing the response, seeing that it was working, people were buying and like crazy. Um, and so as soon as that was done, it felt exactly like, the few minutes post Boston qualifying. Uh, and I, I was really kind of puzzled because it was like, wow, we did it. We got this thing done and it has worked so well, but I still had no idea if we had achieved this thing that wasn't necessarily the explicit, like main goal. It was for Robert. For me, I was not willing to have it because I just couldn't handle the disappointment of, <laughs> of being so into it and, and having it not happening, mm-hmm. which, which had happened to me before. And so I didn't know what to think about that. Um, it was like just, it was just that euphoria, that feeling that you get on that high, and it's like everything is wonderful, and you can't believe it, and it's time to rest. And so, like, I had that, and I was I was like, how can I feel this now? When in the back of my mind, the real goal that I still really want is this New York Times bestseller, and we have no idea if we made that. Um, so my first interpretation was maybe this is me knowing somehow, you know, on some level that I don't understand, knowing that we made it. Maybe maybe I know that what we did is good enough to make it. Hmm. And and we had a, a sense of some sales numbers then, but not not nearly enough clarity to know that that it was enough. Uh, and even once we knew it was a quote unquote enough, we didn't know if we made it because as you said, there's the subjectivity piece. So um, that was my first thought, and then my second thought was probably the more accurate one, which was maybe in my head the New York Times is is still the goal, and it's this personal thing, bucket list thing I want to check off, but. Maybe the real goal and the whole reason for even wanting New York Times for this book is is that it gets this book in front of, or it's a signal that this book got in front of so many people uh, and is is actually making a real difference for this movement and for you know people's lives who it will change. And so I thought maybe that's why I feel this way because I know that even if we don't make this list, that it has done that, and that's that's part of the reason I want to make that list is so that we can do more of that. And so I thought maybe that's what it is. maybe I've already achieved that and i know it and that's why i can be happy so for about three days maybe two days father's day sunday right after that was nice uh i felt that and then and then the nerves started coming then i found out our sales numbers the specific exact ones and and then i found out that it would be on wednesday that it comes out at 7 p.m publicly but our publisher would know at 5 (laughs) p.m and was going to email us right away and so like 
suddenly there was just this countdown clock in my head uh and it got more and more important to me as, as we were waiting yeah uh, so anyway so then you know i i i'm ha- really happy with how i dealt with it and i, and I do want to talk about that because there's an interesting uh uh i don't know what the word is here dilemma um trade-off kind of thing like I'm I'm such a big believer in this pick yourself idea. This idea that you should not wait around to be picked by a list like New York Times, but more than that, like even earlier stage, like you shouldn't you shouldn't uh, you don't need to wait around these days for a publisher to find you, right? That's what people used to dream about in the 1980s and 90s. It would be like you want to get discovered. You want to, and of course, way before that too, 50s, 60s, 70s with TV and media. Um, you know, there, there's a hand. There were a handful of gatekeepers, three big TV networks, for example. Uh, and if one of them picked you and decided, found you, discovered you, whatever, uh, or some extension of that, right? Some the right agent, the right scout, the right, you know, bigwig sees you and says, "Wow, you're a star," and then they make you a star. You know, then you then you're in, and that's the way you get in. And that's I think this is this is like to me one of the most inspiring ideas of the past of, you know, for as long as I've done Nomad Athlete, this has been like, every time I think about this, it makes me just so excited um, because I've been able to use it and, and anyone else can. And I, I think honestly that like the opportunity just keeps getting bigger and bigger that these days, and this is, by the way, this is Seth Godin's phrasing and his idea, not mine. Um, but that you can, you don't need to stop. You should stop waiting around to be picked and you should pick yourself. And what that means is you don't, wait for someone to tell you that you know you deserve a radio show because your voice is so good and your stories are so compelling instead you start a podcast you pick yourself you don't need someone to tell you you can do that you don't need permission to do that you just start doing it same with writing in in 2009 what you did was start a blog and that's what i did and you start putting your ideas out and you publish every single day or every single week or whatever it is and you don't you know you let people tell you you're not good enough or you are and but it's only one individual who tells you that at a time and so no one person's opinion matters. There's no gatekeeper anymore. Uh, so anyway, the idea is you pick yourself, and then the irony, of course, and this is the part that I've added that wasn't Seth's part, but to me, like the irony is that once you've actually picked yourself and you've done a great job of it and you continue to pick yourself, that's when finally you get picked. That That's how you get picked, because you, you've done it yourself and you've proven it yourself. Uh, and at that point, you don't need to get picked anymore. You don't need it, but then you get the option if you want it. And... That, that's what happened here, of course. But for me, like, it was a very weird thing to have done the crazy amount of work we did leading up to this, and and not to mention the 12 years prior for me and the, the uh, 25 years for Robert. Well, that's how, long, that's how long he's been vegan, but he's been doing the vegan work for probably 15, 20 years as far as, you know, putting the vegan bodybuilding message out there. Right. Um, and so, like, you know, we've done plenty of picking of ourselves, but now it got to this point where all the sales numbers were in, we couldn't do anything else. I mean, we, we, we did. We said what we did was we kind of kept. We said, well, just in case one of the subject, one of these subjective factors, is how's the book doing now? Now that the sales week is over, because it very well could be. Maybe they glance at it on Amazon and see see what the ranking is now, uh, or maybe they go to Barnes and Noble and see if it's selling still. So we said, well, we're not going to stop, you know, trying to sell this book, and, and we it was good. We the Prime Day thing came out for Amazon, so we talked about that a little bit, and people did keep buying the book. But anyway. It, we felt it felt like we were very powerless at this point to change anything, and so it very much felt like literally just waiting around and and basically letting someone else decide whether or not we were worthy. And 
that was a weird feeling because I've worked so hard in my head to get myself past that that idea and like whenever I catch myself waiting and saying if only I'll get chosen for this thing or if only this opportunity like works out and I catch myself and I say no that, that's not it like you don't you don't want to just wait around and this in the old days of nomad athlete what this meant to me was like I would just refresh blog refresh blog stats over and over because I wanted to see the people coming in and I'd be like when like when's the big spike gonna happen and like it, even that was kind of a waiting to like I don't know so I eventually like realized like whenever you find yourself just waiting and checking and something and just like, that's when you should go produce something else because that's, that's how you get better. You don't get better by just waiting for your big break. So anyway, um, but here I was waiting to see if we did this. And basically what I did was just in my head, I just went over this whole thing. I basically convinced myself that even if we didn't do this, this book had done what we wanted. And you know, the New York times list is so important because it helps you to sell more copies of the book, helps you get more media for the book, uh, get it in front of more people, you know, gets your foot in the door a lot easier. But I thought like, even if we don't get put picked, like this, this book is still going to make waves all over the place. And we're not going to, Robert and I aren't going to stop with, with trying to, you know, maximize what we can, the amount of people we can get it in front of and the amount of people we can share this message with. And so I was like, you know, five years from now, it will have made a difference, but but it won't be a huge one. Like by then, you know, I, I will have done the same amount of work to to champion this book. And by then I will have written other books that I'll have done the same amount of work for. And those will have headshots. And I, I just thought, you know, like it doesn't really change the what I'm going to do because tomorrow I'm going to show up to work again and I'm going to record another podcast this week and I'm going to keep, you know, drip, drip, dripping out the content, which is what Seth Godin, again, that's his thing. That's what that's his idea. And it just it is so true to me that that's the the secret right and everyone wants to know the secret and honestly like i've i've put this in some groups i'm in and uh people want to know the secret they're like well how'd you how'd you do it how'd you do the promotion like how do you get a publisher and and they always want this like thing that's like this the trick um and I'm, i always feel bad when i'm like well you blog in this niche for 12 years and <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the secret to doing it and what's funny, this I've this I've only been reminded of this recently on interviews, talking to people about um, like because all these interviews they ask my story and Robert's story, so I tell the Boston thing in, in very short form. Um, and for those who don't know, in short form, it's that I failed to qualify by 103 minutes, four minutes per mile is what the amount I missed Boston by my first time, thinking I was going to do it because I didn't know, just like the first book I wrote, thinking that was going to be a bestseller. Um, and then I said, "Wow, I missed it by that much!" Like. In a way that's embarrassing, in another way that's so inspiring that I could, you know, the amount of work I would have to do to get that done, somehow, that's so exciting. How, how much would I have to change to do that? And so I spent, I think it was six years, it was definitely six marathons, uh, trying to qualify for Boston, and finally, I did. But what, I, what I've what i realized in retelling this from a few interviews is, like, there were strategies and things along the way that, that helped me get to Boston, uh, but really what it was, was running for seven years. Like, that's... Right, and plant-based diet was a big factor at the end of that, um, and so so was in the beginning the learning how to run without getting injured, the learning proper form, the learning like the actual training, the way you train hard and then train easy, and you just keep doing that, alternating those types of workouts. Like there were all these parts, but the showing up and running every day, or as much as possible, which was wasn't every day, but five days a week, and. I had some times where I would go three or six months without running during that period because I would get so kind of just you know uninterested in it or, or frustrated or whatever. 
Uh, and those those were the worst. Like those are the worst gaps that I should have avoided, and I could have done it way faster. Because what makes the difference is you show up and do it, and your body learns to run. You, with mm-hmm. independent of your fitness level, your brain gets better at recruiting muscle fibers, and you running is just easier when you've been doing it for seven years, or fifteen years, or twenty years, even if your fitness at that moment isn't that high. And and it's exactly the same here. Like creating a bestseller uh, is way easier twelve years into this when all these things have built around it right we have businesses that have built up that aren't nomad athletes that are built around it we have these different formats now it's not just a blog it's also the podcast um we have different social media channels we have a team like this happened and we have way more trust from everybody because we've we've been at this we're not we didn't just show up and and say hey we're here and then we got a book now like we've we've just keep coming and and people realize that and so you build trust and now we have this certain level of like almost like respect because we've been doing it so long. I mean, the number of times I heard that me and Robert are the OGs uh, during these interviews, it's cool and fun and not really true because people were, were there way before me. Robert actually is, but uh, I don't know. It's just like we've built a ton of trust and you don't get that overnight. And right. it's the same with anything. It's like that's that's what it is. It's just you have to be patient. You keep showing up and doing it and you you drip by drip by drip, you, you fill up a bucket or a bathtub or an ocean or whatever. Uh, so that if there's a secret, that's what it is. And I think it's cool. I think it's cool because, and this is why I like running and why I like distance running. Cause like you, anyone can do this if you just are willing to do that consistent work. So things, things like that, I think are so inspiring that there's, there's no magic. It's just showing up and doing it over and over. It's the exact opposite of a hack. It is. Yeah. And these days that it's not even that rare to say things that, I mean, I think, People love hacks, which is cool. Thankfully, it's kind of getting popular to to you know embrace the journey. Rich Roll has talked about this, um, uh, and I think it's a good thing. I think it's good that people can actually get excited about the anti-hack culture. Mm-hmm. So you know, you mentioned you mentioned not waiting around to for someone to pick you, and how you know nowadays uh, whether it's whether it's a con you know creating content or videos or writing or uh, you know or even like you know, becoming a professional athlete, you know, you, to, to get, you know, if you're, you're not waiting around to get sponsored by some, by Nike or something, but you can, you can do things to make a living off of, uh, off of running, even if, you know, even without that like big name sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Um, the, like the thing that I, you know, in, and then you said, uh, ironically, when you pick yourself and when you put in the work, then people start picking you. And, what that made me think about is I think that when, when you're trying to do something so that you get chosen by someone else, so that you get noticed by Nike, so that you get noticed by a publisher or uh, a newspaper or something like that, you're doing it for them. But when you're picking yourself and you're, you know, you're creating exactly what you want to create or you're, you're training the way you want to train and running the races that you want to run for, uh, and promoting yourself in, in the way that feels most natural to you, it's way more authentic. And that's going to always 100% resonate with certain people more mm-hmm. than trying to do something for other people. And and then those big names or whatever that are ultimately end up picking you, like the New York Times, um, you know, they're going to they're gonna notice that, you know, <laughs> that you have created something that is really resonating with people. Yeah, I think that is, I think that is absolutely right. Um in fact, it reminds me, I, this has been an issue or a theme, I guess, for me recently with uh, 
with my son and soccer. And this is funny. I'm glad to hear you say this because this I had not made this connection before, but it's totally right. Um, so like the well-worn path in soccer, the easy way to go, not the, it's not easy at all, but the, the way to go to like, you know, get discovered, not <laughs> get discovered, <laughs> uh, which is kind of, it's kind of true, but I don't want to use the term because I don't want to try to tie it too closely to what we're talking about. Um, I just want it to be its own example. Like the way to get a college scholarship, uh, which is probably the most common thing that people are after rather than pro soccer player, at least in this country, it's just the pro soccer player thing is not, not quite the dream it is like to go to the NFL or something just because it's so new as our as our countries or as a sport in this country um as a popular sport in this country but anyway so like the way to do it is go through what's called ecnl which is like the the top tier program and you have to do all this travel and you have to pay three or five thousand dollars to your club and you know you go you go play for an ecl ecnl team you'll get the most exposure then playing other ecnl teams um I don't even know what that stands for, by the way. Now that I'm saying it, but <laughs> yeah, I was gonna ask. But... <laughs> yeah, but it's like it's the system. It's the it's the machine that you plug yourself into, and I had assumed that's what we should do, because my son Holden is a very talented player. Um, but recently, I've gotten some advice from people who are saying, they say don't don't go the ECNL route. Like you can do that. And this is also, by the way, I hate to you know be be jumping topics, but there's a the master class that uh, online platform Wayne Gretzky has one greatest mm-hmm. hockey player ever in many people's opinions and he has this exact same thing he talks about there was this team that he used to play against in canada and his his team would always lose to this one team and they could just never beat him they'd always lose in overtime or whatever and gretzky's dad in his infinite wisdom apparently said in the car ride home sometimes he would say that team is extremely well coached and they have a system for winning and all those players know how to play in that system but you're not gonna, there's not going to be one player from this team that makes it into the NHL. And it turned out that Gretzky's team, the team that was not coached like that, uh, but instead had all these you know immensely talented kids who just couldn't quite play like a team, but but they they had this passion and and talent, and they all like were good in their own ways or or extraordinary in their own ways. He said like that team ended up uh, having I think there were five NHL players who ended up going onto the NHL from from Gretzky's team in wherever he was in Canada. And that's exactly the, the advice we've been getting with soccer, with Holden. People are saying, like, put not, not people, a few people have said, instead of, like, trying to get on these very best top-tier teams, which, you know, I think he'd have a very, very good chance of doing, they said, like, let him play for a, a kind of second-class team and be the very best player on that team. Um, because, you know, in, in his previous team, like, he, the, the whole thing was, like, you take one or two touches on the ball only. This is age 10 and 11-year-old kids. They're saying... You get one or two touches, and you immediately move the ball to the next guy, and it's a it's a system, and you move it around, and you pass quick, and, and that's how soccer at the highest levels is played, um, and so that results in a team that can win, but what results in a player that like is really special and and actually turns heads, it, it's not it's not the player who is like five percent better than the rest of the system because he's worked so much harder, it's the player who's like completely outside of the system mindset and has just developed his own you know very unique skill set. Uh, that that no one else in the world has because you know it's just how this kid plays. It's his his creative his creative expression like in his play, and that's exactly what you're saying. Like you can if you just if you follow the well worn path and you're just like you're doing things to make sure you do it exactly like you know X Y Z authors that you've seen do it or X Y Z artists or performers or whatever it is you're you're going after. 
Um, and there are these avenues that have started to get created around it and the money is there and it makes it easy. Like that's what everyone does now. And it just, again, the irony is that the thing that really matters, it really makes a difference is if you can be outside of that and, and make yourself different because you're doing your own thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not at all trying to glorify what, what I've done or we've done with our stuff. Cause I don't, I don't know how, how well we, we fit that. Um, but you know, we did our own thing. And I, I think that's, that's totally right. That like if, yeah, you just, you end up producing something that doesn't have the same spirit and soul in it when you're doing it for someone else. Uh, then when you're kind of just listening to your heart and like doing what, what you think is what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, this is one more example. Um, and then I don't, I don't know if anyone is even interested in this stuff. <laughs> it's fun, fun for us to talk about. Um, you know, you know, I'm a big fan of disc golf. Yeah, of course. Everyone knows that. that. Everyone knows that. I, I like to play disc golf. I love to watch professional disc golf. <laughs> and uh, it's been really interesting watching, you know, I, I'm, you know, comparatively speaking, somewhat new to the sport. I've you know, been watching professional disc golf maybe for like four or five years now. It's pretty, that's um, pretty OG, if you ask me. <laughs> well, it, it you know it's kind of like ultra running where you know I kind of came in right at the very beginning of the wave, mm-hmm. and uh, and started blogging about blogging about it, and then you know and then all of a sudden like I was like the guy the new people were looking at, but you know there were all these other guys that have been doing it way longer, and like uh-huh. you know they were the true OGs, but anyway it's it's kind of like that, but you know but I'm of course not blogging about <laughs> disc golf, <laughs> although maybe I should be. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Um, but you, what, what's been really cool is watching, um, as the sport's grown, there's all these people, you know, I mean, even, even with uh, this, there being some money in the sport now and, and, um, sponsors, you know, disc sponsors, disc brands paying a little bit more for professional players to play, you know, it's, I think it's really, really hard to make a living as a professional disc golfer, yeah, but there are a lot of people who are doing it and they're doing it in creative ways, right? Like they're, they're running clinics. They are uh, becoming social media p- personalities. They're, um, you know, getting kind of all these like small sponsorships from, you know, a bunch of random things. And uh, and and the traditional way of like making money off of a main sponsor or um, mm-hmm. or like winnings at tournaments and things like that, um, they're much less reliant on that than they than I think that the original professional athletes, professional disc golfers were, were, cause they're kind of choosing their own path. They're like, they're saying, I want to do this. And even if I'm not the very best in the world, like I can still make a living off of this and I, I can still get creative and follow my passion of disc golf. And it's been fun to watch that happen on like a professional level with a bunch of different people. And I, but I think that that's happening on pretty much any sport. I was talking to somebody the other day who, um, is trying to be a professional ultimate Frisbee player. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's like really no money in that and, uh, <laughs> you know, but, but they're trying to like make it work and like, you know, play semi-pro and, um, you know, tour around with that team and everything. And I don't know. I just think it's, I think it's just really cool that people are, are, are figuring out what they're like really, what motivates them the most, what they're most excited about and finding a way to, it doesn't have to be make a living out of it, but, you know, finding a way to, uh, maximize what they, you know, what they can get from it. Yeah, I, I think that is just so cool. I think about the world now, and this is—it's it's really not different from the pick yourself idea. Uh, like, you don't—you don't have to be even a pro 
level athlete anymore to to find a way of being able to do that sport for your living, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. That you can be like a really great teacher of it or a really, you know, do it in artistic way or something that resonates. And a great example of this is like freestyle. Uh, instead of playing soccer, the, the juggling and the, you know, tricks that they do while they're juggling the ball, this is with their feet, of course, and, and not their hands. Uh, but like the, the freestyle thing, there are like pro freestylers now. And, and I, so I, I've had this discussion with Holden a lot because I just mentioned that like the the pro soccer dream, it it's just I don't know it's it's not quite the dream in this country that it is I think in Europe still, uh, and the pro athlete dream even that is one I don't know I'm I'm always like on the fence of like it's it's cool because he's immensely immensely talented, but just you know the odds and the and even the length of a, if you make it the length of a career, it, it's so short I mean it's it, it's like that cannot be your plan. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's so cool that that you can do all this other stuff, and and that you can like pursue it now without having to bet the farm on it. You can pursue it, but also be building a business or or building a following or making a living, uh, mm-hmm. in in a different way, and still have that dream. But also, you know, more than likely, end up having carved out a great career for yourself, where you you're your own boss, and you know you have people who love what you do, and a bunch of fans who support your work. I mean. It's amazing that, that you can do that now. It's just and in everything. It's not just sports. Uh, all kinds of art, of course, happens this way. Uh, so I I just think this gatekeeperless world is incredible, and it's I, I think uh, I think people don't quite get the I, I probably don't even get, but like the extent to which we have this freedom now to do what we want and and find ways to make a living from it. Um, or, or find ways to, you know, have it spread and be shared if, if the living is not the main goal. Uh, I don't know. I just love that stuff. And I, I don't think anyone, I don't think everyone else loves it quite the same as, as I do or we do, but, uh, I hope a few people hear that and, and, you know, it makes them say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to start my thing. Absolutely. Good. Uh, all right. Thing I, I have, think, Doug, oh yeah, me. go ahead. Can you hear me? Sorry. The very last thing I didn't. I didn't want this episode to be a sales pitch. It, I wanted it to be a celebration, of course, um, of what we've done, and it's amazing. What I have not mentioned, well, I mentioned at the very beginning that like this surprisingly turned into a whole lot more work, and and not not in the great way. It wasn't it wasn't in the way of like as soon as we hit that list, a billion you know interviews started coming in and the phone started ringing and you know they want to have us on <clears throat> Ellen or whatever. Uh, well, I don't know what, what's the popular TV show these days, Doug. The View. <laughs> uh- the chew like, isn't that that's... one the chew yeah it's like a cooking daytime show oh i've never even heard of that one <laughs> well i don't know what the new popular one is but whatever they're not calling uh <laughs> but what so what <laughs> maybe because you don't even know who they are <laughs> <laughs> uh but the, the challenge that came up and this hit me as i was going to bed so, like Wednesday night came out, the, the news came out. I called everyone, of course. Uh, you know, just just amazing rush that that evening. But when I went to bed, it didn't hit me until I went to bed. I I just always thought that that you make it on the New York Times bestseller list and then you're on there for a few weeks because the momentum of being on there, like especially if you're on your first week debut book on there, you're gonna get all this attention from that, and that that attention certainly gonna carry you through to still be on the list the next week and maybe the week after that. And then, then it's sort of going to be up to the public, obviously, to decide by how many, how, just how well your book resonates. Um, 
And of course, the author's going to need to keep doing their thing and keep doing interviews and stuff, but but that it's it's kind of out of your hands. Well, it turns out that maybe that's eventually true, but when the sales, or sorry, when the when the announcement comes out on Wednesday and the list becomes public Wednesday evening, and that's just on the internet, that's not the real newspaper list. That doesn't come out till like two weeks later. Um, but like, so it goes goes up on Wednesday, and then you only have until Saturday to make sales still for the next for the next week. Uh, you've got the the days before that, but and thankfully we were doing some stuff then. But you know, you're you just marshaled every resource you possibly had to get people to go buy it, support it the week that it's on sale. So to imagine getting anywhere near those first week numbers by yourself with your own community uh, in the second week as well is, you know, it, it's just unfathomable almost that you could possibly do that two weeks in a row. Because if you could have, you would have you would have put it all into one week so that you'd have a, you know, guarantee, guarantee yourself a spot on the list. Mm-hmm. So it turned, so like immediately, I was like, oh my gosh, so we're going to have a whole lot of trouble staying on this list. And I think just about everyone who, first hits the list without some huge like mainstream amount of media support which with a book like this plant-based athlete you know it just we're not going to get mainstream media support like in droves we might get we might get some here and there and we book it some here and there and we've and we've started to but you're not going to get all the tv shows calling at once and it's just like this huge avalanche of, of exposure um so anyway so we have a very real challenge uh and very real possibility that we won't be on the list next week even that we'll have been on at one time and one week and then you know maybe get back on later if we can line up what media does come and like time it in a certain week so we get a whole bunch of sales in one week again sometime i don't know in the summer or the fall um but very real chance that we will not stay on there so that's why there's been a huge amount of work basically since i woke up the next morning and said and emailed the publisher i was like wait a minute what about this because by the way the book we knocked off the list was had been in the number three spot the week before, and it was our very same publishers. It was Hormone Intelligence. Uh, so they went from three to off the list. We were the only new one, and we just replaced the number three one. So <laughs> it's like I, it just didn't occur to me that, that you could be on and off that fast. Uh, if it happens, it, it will not by any means be the end of the world. Like the goal was get on the list, and you, you carry that tag forever. The book will, in its, in its next print, will, will have a New York Times bestseller you know, line at the top of the cover. Uh, I'll always be a New York Times best-selling author, which is you know amazing. So it's not like it's not like any of that is lost or that this goal is is lost. But um, we really would like to stay on there, obviously. And I think you know I, it's going to be hard, but I think we could do it if we get the right push, if, if our community responds and supports, and if we get if we can get on some last minute, uh, like what happened last weekend. Last week, if we can get on those things again, and we've we've got a couple things happening today actually that are that are big. Uh, so anyway, I guess my, that's why I went back very hard back to work yesterday and, and up early today doing it again. And after tomorrow, I think I'll be able to finally rest a bit because if we can stay on for two weeks, you know, then, then it will, we will have at least had a full week of exposure on the list to help us stay on that list. Um, anyway, I have no idea if that will happen, but that's why I've been hard at work. So if you're, uh, if you're into this, if you want to support this book more, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of people who listen to this already have, of course, and thank you for that. Um, if you haven't, though, or if you have and you just want to do more, then there's always giving it as a gift to someone, um, you know, or just sharing and recommending to someone, or sharing the news about <clears throat> a plant-based athlete book or a plant-based fitness book called The Plant-Based Athlete being on the New York Times bestseller list. 
any of those things are are immensely helpful and and would give us uh, at least a shot of still being on there for the next week. So um, that is that is my ask this week. If you'd consider that, and of course it's at Amazon. They still got it on sale for cheap, seventeen dollars and seventy four cents. I don't know how long they will. We don't control that pricing or anything, but it's like eight dollars cheaper than it was last week, which is a great thing. So I hope it stays like that forever, but I just don't know how long it'll be that cheap. Um, it's, of course, in, in all the physical stores, all the independents, not all, but many of the independents that we have mentioned. Doug, by the way, thank you for getting it into the Black Mountain Bookstore. You single-handedly yeah. did that, right? That's right. Yeah, and I think that's happening all over the place. People are going to their bookstores and saying, hey, can we get this? And independents are usually very happy to do that uh, if they understand that people in their community want it. Uh, and of course, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, you know, the big ones. Uh, so if you want to support, please, please, please do it. Um, that would be very, very, uh, appreciated and, and meaningful. Um, but if not, thank you for getting it this far. I mean, it, it's amazing. A dream come true for me. Like I said, a decade that I've been thinking about this, been writing it down in journals, just like the Boston thing, just like the hundred miler, uh, you know, many, many, many times I've written become a New York times bestseller or write a New York times bestseller or whatever in, in different goals and journals. So, um, it's incredible and such a privilege and honor and it's, it's just amazing. I just can't, still can't believe it's real. It just does not, has not sunk in yet that this really happened. And I, I think it'll probably still be a little while before it does. Well, congratulations, Matt. And it was fun to kind of talk about this stuff and celebrate a little bit. And, um, I do hope that people continue to support the book. I know that they will. Uh, and you know, congratulations. Cool. Thank you. I appreciate it, Doug. I appreciate all your help too. Your individual efforts have, uh, have not been small. They've been very, very helpful. So thank you for that. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Well, we'll see you next week. That's right. Drip, drip, drip. Back at it. (laughs) We're not stopping now. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye.